welcome back to another episode of Deets with Dita. I'm your host, Nandita, and today um, I've kind of come in with a sneaky little surprise episode for you guys. So instead of me waiting a week and being like, oh hey, yeah, I'm gonna stick to a two week schedule from now on, I was like, no, I'm gonna be weird and extra <laughs> for the time that I did say I'm gonna stick to something to also be on brand and not stick to it. Um, and I'm doing an episode on something that I wouldn't have done an episode on if I hadn't watched what I watched that sparked so much anger in me that I felt like I needed to not only make an episode on this, but it's on a topic I have done before, but we're going to go into specifics a little bit more. Okay, so this week's episode, if you've read by the title, is Should We Say It Goodbye to Legacy Franchise Films? Now you're probably asking me, what is a legacy franchise films? Because we spoke about like uh, we spoke about just normal franchise films last week. We spoke about you know Marvel in particular, a massive, massive franchise. So what is the difference between like Marvel as a whole, as opposed to what I'm saying is a legacy franchise film? Well, a legacy franchise film in my eyes is something that so it is it is a form of of film that you know had its first film time ago it could be a film or it could be a group of films so it could have been a trilogy or it could have been um, a singular film and then years down the line um we get a sequel to it or like a reboot soft reboot sequel you know um an additional trilogy kind of thing examples of um legacy franchise films is, gosh, we could have Predator. So Predator had like its run back in the day and then they made some more. Alien, again, two, two legacy franchises I haven't seen, but I do intend on seeing very, very soon. Um, and then you have like Jurassic Park. Um, so we had a trilogy of that. And then now we've had a trilogy completed, just completed recently of that. Star Wars. We had a trilogy, then a prequel, then years down the line we had Force Awakens and the rest of that trilogy. And we are still continuing to see more, directed by Taika Waititi. Well, the next one will be directed by Taika Waititi, uh, at the very least. Then we have Avatar. Avatar is probably like a new gen, <laughs> if you want to call it that, uh, legacy franchise film. I would even say that it's maybe a bit crass to say that it's a legacy franchise film because it's not been that long since the original came out for it to now start doing sequels and so on and so forth um so that's gonna that's kind of maybe a legacy franchise film and then another one which is another recent example is top gun so we've had top gun which was released in 1980s and now we're getting a sequel like 30 years later which is kind of insane um, and then, yeah, like, there's just so many other uh, legacy franchise films that I could list and talk about, um, but these are the main ones. So, okay, so now, now I've explained to you what legacy franchise films are, why am I talking about them now? As you mentioned, as, well, as I mentioned, not you, it'd be weird if you could talk back to me and I heard you, um, but, as I said, Two 
of the legacy franchise films that I'd mentioned have had films released of it recently. Top Gun Maverick is the, uh, the sequel to the original Top Gun. Then we had the newest installment in the Jurassic World trilogy, as opposed to the park, um, I guess, legacy material that it's working off of, uh, Jurassic World Dominion. And I would say, on the scales, you know, scales of truth, one is, is, is incredible in quality, and one just really, really falls short. And it begs the question, well, why are these bees still being made? Why do we still want them? Is this, is this something that we still want to continue and progress with? Um, and like, I touched on kind of a little bit of these points in last week's episode, so I don't know how long this episode's gonna be, depends on how long I ramble for, but it's just gonna be my thoughts and opinions on um, these two specific legacy franchise films to compare to and then talk about as a whole, like, what I think they should be doing if we still have them, what they shouldn't be doing, and if we should just have them all together. So, let's get started. Before I continue, I just want to let you know I am going to be talking about both Jurassic World Dominion and Top Gun Maverick in great detail, and I will give spoiler warnings, but I will be covering both of them in a non-spoiler form, then a spoiler form, in that order, so I will go Jurassic, spoiler, non-spoiler, no, imagine if I started off with the spoiler, non-spoiler, then spoiler, then I will go on to Top Gun Maverick, non-spoiler, then spoiler, I have to think about that again, um, and I will leave the time codes in the description of the episode to tell you what parts are spoilers in case you want to save it and come back to it later, or um, you want to, like, you can, so you can skip over it and stuff. Um, but yeah, let's get started because I'm going to start off with uh, basically dissecting them and then talk about it overall, as I said. So, <laughs> we're starting off with Jurassic World Dominion. I have a lot of thoughts um, about this film. And this film is kind of what sparked um, me to actually do this episode because I came home after watching it and my oh my was I feeling emotions. Um, I definitely was not expecting what I got. And um, so let's give you the rundown. So Jurassic World Dominion picks up straight after, um, you know, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in which, and I kid you not, I've only seen this film once, so this is really stretching my memory. Um, it involved dinosaurs being sold on the black market and once again being potentially genetically modified. Um, secondly, they got all released into the wild again. Great, amazing. Um, and then there was stuff to do with Hammond and his clone granddaughter that, you know, we kind of just brushed over a little bit because it was not memorable enough for me to remember to this film. Um, and yeah, so that's where, where we left off. Chris Pratt still doing Chris Pratt things, Bryce Dallas Howard still doing Bryce Dallas Howard things. But in this film, you know, we are looking at the ramifications of, you know, what's happened since then. So what 
what are we what are we dealing with post you know dealing with um these animals um dinosaurs <laughs> being sold on the black market and that's exactly where the um and then, and then obviously that having been released into the wild and seeing what they can do and how they are uh, living amongst uh, general civilization so that's where the story picks up right and i feel personally i feel like you have a lot of potential as you know a big franchise i mean this is a uh what is this this is a universal studios picture and i just think you have a lot of potential as a, as a company you have a lot of uh, limited unlimited resources you can you can do what you want you can have people creatively sit down and decide a narrative flesh it out and make it great for the fans because not only have you got um not only have you got like um the the, the you know it's the last one in this newest trilogy you're also bringing back some of the really well-known characters from the old ones so that's obviously seen in the posters and trailers we've got Lara Dern coming back we've got Jeff Goldblum coming back and bless him I, I just never remember his name his characters nor his actual name I will I will go google it right now actually Sam Neill that's his name oh gosh okay I will remember that now um, but you've got all of these really iconic characters coming back for this film. So there is a lot of weight and a lot of pressure from people wanting to get it right. I mean, obviously, we had a small cameo from Jeff Goldblum in the last one. But, you know, for this one, you're bringing the whole gang back together. So it feels like there has to be an air of more importance and more pressure to, to do this right. So... <laughs> Here's what I thought about it. I really disliked it. I was so disappointed with, you know, the amount of resources and potential it had to the point where <laughs> when I saw it, I was just like, really, really? It was, you know, it felt like, and this is the best way I can describe it. And in spoilers, I will go into the specifics of the ideas um, and you'll get what I mean when I explain. But it felt like they either ran out of ideas or had too many ideas and ended up throwing them all at the wall and hoping it all just kind of merged together and stuck. But instead it just made an absolute mess that it just didn't work. It had all the right ingredients, but it just, it just didn't, it was not executed. Um, I should say they had more all the right resources um, to to kind of combine together to try and make a great narrative, but they ended up doing things that just felt so tonally different in like every new scene. It was trying to be too many different things, in my opinion. It felt like you know they were trying to combine like five different styles or genres of film into one, and then be like, oh. Let's have this genre, but with dinosaurs. Oh, but what if we had this genre with dinosaurs? And also, what if we just rehash some of the ideas that we've already done in this trilogy that we have literally seen? And I'm just sat here like, 
As an audience member who has dedicated a lot of time to watching the Jurassic World, I've seen, you know, I've seen all of them. I didn't re-watch them all for this one because I've seen them so fresh in my mind already. Like, I watched them during the very beginning of lockdown, um, and you would have heard on the podcast if you were around back then when exactly I started um, watching them. And then you just, it just hurts. It hurts me. There was such cliché dialogue. Um, I will get into some of the quotes in the spoilers section. Underdeveloped characters. I mean, not only do you have to deal with the fact that you've got, you know, Sam Neill, Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum. But then you've also got Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. But then you've also got the kid, right? Who's, um, I mean, I don't, let's, let's have a look at her name. You've got Elizabeth, Elizabeth, and then you've got the kid, Isabel uh, Sermon who is now into play and she's has a lot more of a of she has a lot more of a focal point in, in this story. So you're having to develop her character. And then also you have a new character who uh, who gets into the mix, um, helping Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. And then you have another new character introduced helping Jeff Goldblum's character. And then you have another um, new character in the form of a villain. And then you just, I just sit there and I just think, how, how in a, in a two and a half hour film, and it is, it feels two and a half hours, I was sat there in that cinema screen, like, how long is this film? Like, how long is this film? I literally turned to my mom and I was like, God, this film is so long, what is going on? Um, and my dad tapped me and was like I am falling asleep <laughs> and I was like dude same internally I'm falling asleep but obviously I was it was like a car crash like a really ugly car crash like you want to look away but you just can't because you're just so shocked by what's going on um that might be a bit harsh because uh, I do think there were some shining moments in there however it majority of it is kind of kind of trash <laughs> um and I'm holding in a lot of like how I could outwardly be <laughs> emoting about this, but I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible because I I have I searched the Twitter sphere and I checked you know what are people feeling about this film and a lot of people actually are enjoying it, which is surprising to me. And it's like, am I the one in the wrong? Am I not the top? Am I not the target audience for this film? But I feel like I am, like a young person going into their like. Um, early 20s like I feel like I am the target audience um or maybe I'm not who knows um but yeah it's like it's just it's just bad it's it's honestly it's like underdeveloped characters didn't like it um what I another thing I didn't like it was um the premise of once again, yet again, we are seeing a large corporation taking control over the dinosaurs, but uh-oh, they're bad. And that was a mild spoiler, but you can see it coming is the problem. The problem is, you give us the same formula. So, so me made to think, okay, so we've been given this corporation, surely they're not bad again, because we've had that, like, in the first Jurassic World film, and the original Jurassic Park films, corporation monetizing and having a monopoly over dinosaurs and then using it for, for evil reasons. 
and very exploitative reasons. But no, you just you're never surprised, are you? you they never they never want to give you the, the opposite of what you expect or what they've done, which is kind of boring and stale after a while, you know. Um, as I said, disastrously long. Just felt like it was going on forever. Um, I really, really thought it was three hours after I came out, but I was like, damn, okay, two, two hour, two and a half, okay, fair, fair, fair play, fair play. Um, and there was just a lot of a dead and empty space. Like, there was a lot of nothingness that added no value to the story. And overall, like, that's just why, that's just why it was a bad film. That's what made it a bad film. But let me talk about like a few of the positives that I liked because I don't want to be like super negative and like impartially um, negative towards it. But there were some cool things. I, I love the dynamic between um, the uh, oldies. <laughs> I, I feel bad for calling them the oldies, but we're going to call them the oldies. Uh, so Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill and Alara Dern. I loved whenever they were on screen I absolutely loved it because my heart was like oh Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum because I'm just I'm obsessed with those two in particular um so it's just nice to see them doing their thing doing acting um what we love to see them do and it was great um and I also loved um the callbacks so they had a lot of callbacks in this film that I really enjoyed like some of them were super super pleasant um and very enjoyable and I loved it um and I also loved the CG. So I mean, it's it's obvious to say that the CG for for a film about dinosaurs has got to be top notch. Um, there were at times at the beginning that I felt like it wasn't the best, and I even questioned is that maybe an animatronic instead of a, a, a CG actual thing? Um, if so, props to them for using some animatronics. But there were some parts where I was like, this doesn't look real enough for me to think this is CG. So if it isn't, then um, then understandably an animatronic. But if it is, then that's not that's because it's making me think it's taking me out of the experience essentially. A bad CG is stuff that takes you out of the experience. And for me, I'm sitting there thinking that feels very. <laughs> but maybe this is also my meticulous eye as well. But some of it just felt very superimposed in front of a screen kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's that was my uh, thoughts on the CG. However, in the important parts of the film, the CG was top notch. There was some lovely feathered. Uh, there was, I think, one lovely feathered dinosaur that they did absolutely stunning. Really loved it. Really scary, and dinosaur as well. Um, but yeah, pretty, uh, pretty solid stuff on the CG front. Um, and and that's about it. That's on the nice stuff that I can say. Um, overall, that's that's kind of the film in a nutshell. It's it's very much um, if you've seen Jurassic World and you've seen Fallen Kingdom, I feel like you've seen this film as well because it's offering nothing new to the franchise. I would suggest if you the only reason why you would want to watch this is okay, enjoy some cool new CG and see Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Sam Neill again after a really long time in this um, because other than that you're, you're not going into this film for the plot you're not going in to you know have a have an experience of a film that's just absolutely you know flawless groundbreaking stuff amazing story and something that hasn't been done before in this this particular 
area of a film, very niche area of film that it sits in. Um, so that's my thoughts on <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion. I am now going to give spoilers, spoiler warning, if you do not want spoilers for Jurassic World uh, Dominion, please skip to the, uh, ahead to the time code that um, I give in the description if I remember, hopefully. Um, but yes. Uh, also, if you if you haven't seen it, but you also just don't want it to be spoiled because you don't really want to watch the film, that's okay too. Who am I to judge? Um, but yeah, this is this is this is the spoiler part. <clears throat> right, let's let's get into this because I I I just there are a lot of things that I need to air out and kind of just be like and I think this is the part where I might get heated because I think it's gonna work me up to a point where I could get angry again, but let's let's fingers crossed hope it doesn't happen. Right, my first bullet point says stupid CEO type stereotype that is so overused. They literally got the most tech, generic tech CEO looking dude and made him so flavourless and dry like a plain order at Nando's. Dear God, he, he was giving nothingness. You know, there was at one point, like, in the film where he has like this massive dialogue so like he has this massive monologue um at this person and this person is not responding but he's like putting pieces together about like who this person is in terms of is he on his side is he not on his side and he just says this entire monologue to him and it was just so uncompelling i was like i this is so stale this is so it's it's literally giving nothing it's giving me nothing to go off of and we need to get rid of the stereotype. I've, it's so overused. It's so dumb. It's trying to, it's trying to do this whole post-postmodernistic uh, view. And if you guys don't know what like a post-postmodernistic view is, it's essentially um, a form of media that's trying to emulate real life um, to make it relatable to its audiences. Um, so using like a tech giant or like a science scientific pharmaceutical company head looking like someone like uh god not steve jobs but the other one the new one that's in charge of apple essentially and you just think why it's it's not it's it's just not fun it it's it just feels really cheap and tacky and in my personal opinion um it was it was not fun at all so i didn't like that <clears throat> So, speaking of that long monologue, I'm going to give you two of my favourite quotes of dialogue just to tell you, just to show you how bad the dialogue in this film actually was. I wanted to cry. Okay, so, man does the, man, okay, this dude does this whole monologue. He is just straight up bar, bar after bar talking at this dude. And this guy, this other guy is just standing there not saying anything right and he ends off the the whole monologue by saying oh i thought you were like um uh, that's what i would do blah 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 and then this guy who's just been standing in silence the entire time i'm literally sat in the theater and i'm like if he says i'm not you i am going to scream so i say it under my breath i say i'm i'm not you and and Papa Bar, he says exact 
the exact same thing that I thought he was going to say. And I was like, if a 20 year old can predict the next dialogue in your film, clearly you don't have good writing in your film. It's predictable, it's tacky, and you don't like it. If a, if a literal audience member can guess the next line of what that person is going to say, it's just, it's just not on. It's not, it's not what we're here for. We don't like it. Please, think about it, right? Another piece of dialogue that I, oh, absolutely adored is when Lara Dern said, he slid into my DMs. Babes, babes, Lara Dern, if you're listening, all right? I know you're not, but if you're listening, you get paychecks. You get good jobs. Look at Marriage Story. Um, excellent stuff. Brilliant stuff. Oscar nominating, Oscar nominee worthy stuff, right? You do, you've you've got money. You've got money. You've got cash in the bank. Why? Why did you need to be paid to say he slid into my DMs? I want to know who who made you do that. And also, how much did you get paid for this film? Because I feel like there should have been a damages clause in your paycheck to, you know, attribute to the damages caused by you saying that phrase. Don't try to appeal to the youth by getting a, an older woman, right, who is clearly not down with the youths, right, um, apologies, Lara Dern, if you are, but I just don't imagine you saying in conversation to anyone ever, he slid into my DMs. Therefore, you as a character playing someone else, I just don't see it. I'm not able to see you saying that to anyone. So, that was just bad, very bad. Did not, did not like it. Now, <laughs> as I said before, I feel like this film was trying to be a lot of things. And it really was. It started off documentary style of like news stories about basically it literally gave you know how Netflix do that thing where before you watch a new season of a show, right, they give you a recap of the previous season. It's like a five minute summary of the previous season to kind of recap your brain. And I absolutely love that because for a series I'm gonna forget. Right? For a film, it's like if you have predecessing material, just watch it. Like, at that point, just watch it. Because you're not going to sit in a cinema for a recap. Because that's exactly what I did for, like, at least two to three, maybe five, if we're pushing it, minutes of TV-like style news reports of this film. <laughs> like, <laughs> of, the, of the previous films. Basically explaining and recapping everything that happened in the first film and uh, the second film of the new trilogy. Um, was kind of helpful for me because I did not remember what happened in the second one. It was a very forgettable film and I only have ever seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom once. But it still doesn't make any sense um, to have it in that style and then go on to something completely different later. Right? It was just very weird. Because then you go from this to like a cowboy western and you cut to like Chris Pratt on a horse wrangling dinosaurs with a lasso. What? And then after that, we go from 
news report informative documentary style to cowboy western to now we're going into like a like a heist like a heist thing to to try and obtain illegal dinosaurs from a facility right so we're, we're jumping genres quicker than i can even register the genre that we are currently in right at one point it was very indiana jones of sam neill's character picking up and dusting off his hat and they're running through caves trying to escape the dinosaurs it's like this is how i explained it to my parents i was like okay so they're all so all of the universal executives and screenwriters for jurassic world dominion were in a room they're in a room and they're all sitting around a table the first guy goes so what if we did like cowboys but for like dinosaurs and the head guy's like no that's not enough that's not enough and the other guy what if we do it like documentary style for like uh but with like dinosaurs and they were like no no still not enough still still not enough uh what about you jim jim what have you what have you got jim jim raises and stands up and he goes what if we did indiana jones but with dinosaurs and everyone's like nodding like mm, yeah 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 and and then mr big man bob's like no no it's just not good enough it's not good enough and this this final guy with his little piece of paper you know he's like what if what if what if we do heist or mission impossible style and everyone's just like Ugh, no but with dinosaurs obviously no and then this one guy this one guy who they didn't even know how he got into the room stands up from the back of this 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 god awful room and says what if we did everything and then the room just erupts with like applause and then uh, bob mr bob's just wiping a tear from his eye because he just thinks it's so beautiful and that's genuinely what i think happened i think they they just were like okay what if we did this with dinosaurs? Nah, it's not enough. And then just kind of combined it, combined all of the ideas that they had. Um, which makes me really, really sad because it does none of it justice. None of it is done in a justifying way. And it's just, it's just too many things. It's, in my opinion, just too many things. Um, you know, stick to one or two, maybe. You know, I'm not a big fan of Vice, which is like, um, the Adam McKay film which just goes phew, 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 where you swip, switch from varying genre to genre. Um, it felt very Adam McKay actually, but l a little bit tamed down. A tamed down Adam McKay film. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree. So if you don't, guys don't know who Adam McKay is, he did Don't Look Up, um, he did Vice, he did, um another one that I can't remember off the top of my head but he's done a few of those styles of films um but yeah it's just too many things it's too many things um now I really like there was one particular callback so I mentioned that I really liked some of the callbacks so let's move on to a positive um I really liked some of the the callbacks they did but the, 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 my favorite one which made me really happy um, was the, the, so you know how the Jurassic World, uh, Jurassic Park World logo is the circle with like the outline of the dinosaur in there and it's really cool. At the end, when the T-Rex is coming around the corner, there's like a circle with like a waterfall in it and he perfectly like walks past, like walks behind it, um, 
uh, in the position of the logo and it made me like, I was nodding my head like, yeah, let's go. I was so happy. I had a big grin on my face. I was like, maybe this is where, where, we, where it looks up. Maybe this is the point. And then it was immediately ruined by we're getting Dino v Dino yet again. And bear in mind, it is a dinosaur film. So, you know, expect dinosaurs and maybe expect them fighting with each other. But why is it always a third act penultimate, like the third act, you know, last final hurrah is, um, you know, them trying to uh, escape and then also um, have two big dinosaurs fight each other and that's your, that's your thing. Okay, bear in mind it was three this time around, but like, what? it's still the same. It's literally still the same and it was so anticlimactic. It lasted all the five minutes, less than five minutes. And it was so anticlimactic how how the dinosaur went. It was just it was just so so dull and dry. So that moment of like happiness literally turned for me shaking my head, just absolutely shaking my head like no, this is horrific. I'm so disappointed. Why is this happening? Kind of thing. So it was just it was just an overall very sad experience. Um, so, let's go on to another positive, and then I'll go on to my final, my final thing about um, Jurassic World Dominion. Um, I liked the concept that they had of doing small groups, like, so, there was a lot of characters in this film, so a great way to break up, like, everything is to put them in small groups, and have them all come together at the end. It's kind of like Infinity War, probably not the only example, like, the, the only example that, like, it's probably been done before. Um, before Infinity War, but Infinity War was the best example I can give uh, off the top of my head where they're all in little groups and they're all having their little side quests and then they ultimately come back for the main quest together kind of thing. Um, so that was really nice to uh, to think about and they were all kind of uncovering and getting to the same um, idea. I absolutely loved that idea but it just wasn't executed right. Um, it felt very disjointed and disconnected at some points and it felt like we were at certain points for too long um, a lot of things I, I forgot about this film until, you know, really, really thinking about it now. Like, you know, the whole um, laser-trained dinosaurs. Like, what happened to that? That was such a, a um, that was such a loose end. That was a plot hole. That's the word I was looking for. A plot hole that was like not filled with cement at all. Uh, the cement of truth. <laughs> That's we're never saying that again. <laughs> Sorry, I just need to think about the fact that I said we're filling a pothole, plot hole, with the cement of truth. Just give me a second. <laughs> right, right. I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, it was just, it was just a, it was just a weird one, a, a roller coaster of of a of a ride, and um, yeah, like it, it was just so many things where it's like it wasn't explained in enough detail. Therefore, I didn't really care for it as much, nor did I remember it or recall it until really having to think about it really hard. Um, yeah, so I liked the concept of small groups, but maybe, you know, try and flesh out better or quicker or, you know, not so complicated um, narratives to have within those little small groups. Because I, I just, yeah, I love the little small groups that were kind of slowly like combining and coming together. It was really cute. Um, and then finally, my final point that I have written down is, I have a problem with uh, Jeff Goldblum. Nothing against, I absolutely love you Jeff Goldblum, um, if you're listening you're not, but 
you know, you might be, who knows. Um, I have no problem with you. It's just every time I see you on screen, I get uncontrollably happy to the point where I feel like laughing. Like, I feel like anything that Jeff Goldblum does is just funny to me. Like, he can, he can turn around, but it's, it's just the, I call it the Jeff Goldblum effect. The Jeff Goldblum effect is like, having your mannerisms so kind of over, like, exaggerated in a way that is very Jeff Goldblum. And that's the best way I can describe it. And it's not a bad thing. I absolutely love his mannerisms. I think they're they're so incredible. Like I'm doing it now. Like I feel like I, I'm I'm getting into the Jeff Goldblum like, you know, well, well. He's very I think the best word is he's very animated and I really like that. But obviously because I just I just love Jeff Goldblum so much. Like every time I see him do like a a, a Jeff Goldblum mannerism, I'm like, oh, this is so funny. And I just laugh to myself. So I can never take any of his scenes seriously. So for that I'm really sorry, Jeff Goldblum, but you're absolutely a legend and I love you. So, you know, the, the, the win is immeasurable against, you know, the laughing that was happening. Um, and I still enjoyed every scene you were in, so, you know, if anything, I enjoyed the scenes more. Um, but yeah, uh, that was just my little thing about Jeff Goldblum, my complete little aside about him. Um, but yeah, like, that, that is, that is my thoughts on uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Overall, if I had to do like a recommend to the back end thing for it, I'd probably give it a to the back end, uh, unfortunately. It just wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, I think it could have done, been done a lot better and I had just higher expectations for it. Um, so yeah, go watch it if you want to. I'm always very of the mindset, I'm always going to repeat this, of go watch the film yourself and form your own opinions because that's what I'm all about. Um, so go have, check it out if you want to, um, if you, if you have nothing better to do and you maybe want to watch a film just to see how it is and maybe you are a big Jurassic fan and maybe you are a big uh, fan of the old characters as much as, um, as I am, uh, so give it a watch. But ultimately, I just think it could have been done better, um, and they had a lot of potential with where to go, but they didn't, it just, it, nothing came of it. That's my, my hot take on Jurassic World Dominion and the reason why I decided to make this episode. So it is now time to talk about Top Gun Maverick. So we're going from one end of its spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And we're now talking about what I think is probably one of my favorite films of the entire year. Top Gun Maverick! So, let's give you the non-spoilers first and then I'll head into the spoilers. Um, personally I just thought it was a well thought out sequel to a beloved, class beloved classic. So, as I mentioned in the previous episode in the recommend to the back end, I watched this film literally a couple of days um, after I had watched the first film. Uh, I was initially not going to go watch this. Um, but then I saw so many really, really raving reviews and then my parents were like, you have to. Uh, this is the film that we grew up watching during our childhood. You've got to give it a go. And I was like, you know what? All the signs are pointing for me to actually go and watch this. And I just thought it 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 was the perfect example of a legacy franchise film paying respect to the source material and going above and beyond what you would typically expect from these legacy franchise films. There was a the right balance of nostalgia like the, the the soundtrack 
you know, the cinematography, like truly, truly amazing and iconic. Um, but yet having that balance of the, the nostalgia, but also having a cohesive narrative that just works and is unique and is not just rehashing the original. And it's, it's truly splendid to see, you know, because you don't want to watch something that is just a new version of an old thing that you've seen. You want that value added, you know, the whole concept of value added versus, you know, or are you just making it for the monetary value kind of thing. Um, such great and fun, refreshing re performances from Tom Cruise and Mars Teller. They were absolutely great in both their respective roles. Um, absolutely loved them. So one, so Tom Cruise obviously is Maverick and um, Miles Teller obviously is Rooster. So absolutely loved uh, both of their roles. They did an absolutely incredible job. I'll get more into specifics about that in a second. Um, I genuinely, you know, the time went so, so very, very different from Jurassic World. The time felt like it went so quickly. It didn't feel like it dragged at any points. It was always an engaging. Um, you know, it was, it was really, really great. You know, you watch these flying scenes and you genuinely feel tense whilst watching these flying scenes. Um, and we're not just getting flying uh, tense scenes, you know, we get some, some really tense scenes towards the final act, and I'd argue the final act of this film is, is just so incredibly well thought out and well executed that it just gave me the feeling of cinema is back baby, like, because genuinely I just felt so chuffed and so happy to be sitting there and watching it. And it's a very weird experience as well, because I watched this film on my own, um, for the first time that is, and then I watched it the second time with my dad, but like, the first time I watched it, I was very like, just taken aback, it was such an interesting and weird experience to just go see that by yourself, and then come out of the cinema and just feel like, whoa, that was like, an insane thing to watch, and it, immediately after the film, I called uh, my mom and I just gushed about how amazing it was. And for her to go to see it, because I ended up watching it before my parents, actually. Because it came out on the Wednesday in the UK, and I decided to watch it straight after my exam, as I probably already mentioned in the previous episode. Um, and, yeah, they were going to go watch it on the Friday, so I was just very much gushing about it. I was just so happy. Um, there's this, there's this just a certain feeling I have whenever I hear the main title track of Top Gun. It just incites something in me that just feels so just so happy like it's that soundtrack that gets me and just it, it like releases a burst of serotonin all across my body like oh it's so great and it makes ah so good so good so good so just to give you guys um a little recap of where this film uh, basically picks up and a bit of a summary of the plot uh, in a non-spoiler perspective uh it's essentially so you have Tom Cruise as Maverick, um, obviously he went to Top Gun and he did his, his flight training there, but we see him many, 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 many years later, um, basically, you know, still as a captain, still kicking about and doing things, but then he decides to, but then he gets a call to come in for one last mission and it's about um, that whole journey of him trying to navigate this final mission um, with this new team and figure out, you know, how to how to train them up for probably one of the hardest things they've had to do. 
and what I res love and respect about um, all of these films, like I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan, I will not go out on a limb to say that, you know, he's the best person or, you know, defend him for anything or, you know, even say that he's a good actor, but within this film, like, I respected, I, I gained a lot more respect for him as an actor, you know? He goes out there and when he produces a film or when he acts in a film, he's very demanding of wanting to do his own stunts and um, wanting to get involved in that respect. So, yeah, it was also very nice to see that he was obviously a producer on this film song, which it made my heart warm because obviously he didn't, well, wasn't a producer for the original one, but now he is a producer, which is nice. Yeah, it was absolutely, it was absolutely great, and I really loved that aspect of it, and I loved the fact that they did a lot of um, their own stunts, so I was watching a bunch of interviews of Miles Teller, I was spiralling down the, the YouTube rabbit hole, um, and there was a lot of Miles Teller um, content uh, about him basically saying, yeah, so they were actually, they, he wanted to, so Tom Cruise wanted to wait until they had the technology to actually um, fit the cameras inside the planes and actually be able to do all of those those cool planes stunts so like all of the you know the g-forces that they are under and this that and the other um that they are experiencing is abs is like real it's well it's as real as it can as they can possibly and safely do it for the actors but it's them experiencing that for real and something that you that they, they, they didn't fake and that's perhaps i thought that was it, it made after watching it it made me respect the film even more which is a hard thing to do because I already rated it four and a half out of five, which is great. Um, but yeah, so that is Top Gun Maverick. I highly, highly recommend uh, to anyone and everyone to go give it a watch. I do recommend watching the first one first, then giving this one a go. Just I think it would be more of a rewarding experience for you, so you can get all of the references and nostalgia bits. Um, but yeah. Uh, so now I'm going to move on to spoilers for Top Gun Maverick. If you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick, please, please do skip time code ahead um, and so that you don't have to listen to all the spoilery bits that I talk about uh, about the specific things that I liked um, and then other than that um, uh, and if you, do, you don't really want to watch Top Gun Maverick but you do want to hear all the spoilery stuff you can still listen along it's fine um, so let's get started I love the fact that um, the, the whole story was based around this relationship between Goose's son and um, and obviously Maverick, so Rooster, uh, played by Miles Teller, was Goose's son. And if you don't know who Goose is, in the original um, Top Gun film, he had a little kid with, uh, gosh, I don't remember the woman's name, um, and they did like the cute little um, piano scene together in the bar, which was really, really sweet. Um, so, yeah, like, that whole thing happened um and i thought it was it was very um very cool that they had that type of weight brought back to it into it because obviously goose dies um in combat with with obviously maverick um because he wasn't able to pull the eject thing um so it's quite like a, a tense um kind of a tense moment that kind of like comes all full circle towards the the end of the film as well because it becomes very scary uh when they're about to uh, they almost like are gonna get like shot down by um, one of these much much more advanced um, aircrafts than they had 
um, and he and obviously uh, Rooster couldn't eject, so it felt like you know history was repeating itself. So it was, it was nice because it added this weight, a new type of weight, where Tom was like, well, I have to now, Tom Maverick was now <laughs> was have, had to like balance the whole certainty of well, do I do this because I've been asked to in this mission, um, or do I pick with my heart? Like, do I pick these people to to go in the uh, to be like the first and then the reserves? on this mission based on my heart or my brain and I like you use a little bit of both um but yeah that 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 was that kind of what what happened um and I really I just yeah I just really enjoyed the fact that Goose was um Goose's son was incorporated in it and like I like that that's how it was the link to the original piece I thought it was very smart and especially leaving it this many years later it kind of just fell into its it's that it's quite it was quite great and very impactful um i loved the concept of having the training scenes for this mission so they had to do almost like um this this insanely difficult like uh plane run in like a very specific like scope of time that left very very little room for error little margin for error um and I really liked the whole, you know, the training scenes of that because it was very, it was very nice to see just kind of some playful stuff like that, like we saw in the original Top Gun film with what they were doing. It was very nice, very refreshing, very cool to see. Um, but yeah, like that, 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 just very pleasant, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and then also having the training lead up to the whole, um, the whole obviously like actually it being done. Like seeing it, you know, obviously seeing Tom Cruise complete it for the first time in two minutes, 15 seconds was actually like very iconic, but then to have to see them all do it in order, perfectly timed, very, very powerful stuff, in my opinion. Just very, very cool. Um, yeah, so my next bullet point is the beach scene with sparkles around it. I mean, in the original, they had the beach scene with, you know, the volleyball. And then this time, they had the beach scene with, um, dogfighting-style football, because it, they were both playing offensive and defensive at the same time with two f American footballs. Um, I have no words, but it's great. I love everything about that scene. I love the soundtrack. I am listening to that song non-stop. I am worried... A banger. One Republic, banger. Absolutely love it. I'm literally, ask anyone, um, anyone you, uh, that knows me, they will know that I've been singing the song on repeat, like, endlessly. So, there we have it. It's just great. It's great. Um, also helps that Miles Teller's in it, but, you know, moving swiftly on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, another thing that I really, really loved about this film is... They didn't just, you know, go for um, the whole aerial travel kind of tension. So that's not the only bit of tension we see. Obviously, they crash. So both, so Maverick crashes first, and then obviously Rooster goes after uh, Maverick um, after the crash, and then they end up in this snowy scape. Once again, they they found my weakness. My weakness is snowy landscapes, um, and they essentially had to try and figure out how they were going to get back up into the air and away and they had to use this obviously old aircraft but it was really nice seeing this whole like there was like such great like humor used and like the utilization of breaking up the the tension with the humor and having that dynamic between 
rooster and um, maverick that had been developing after it was quite cold because of how um, maverick um, took his flying papers out uh, of flight school and that put him years behind uh, everyone else uh, that was rooster that is and it's just it was just great. It was it was literally character development. It was great, you know. They had a lot of characters in there, but they focused on Rooster and Maverick to have the main character development um, going through and for them. Even um, Hangman's um, character development was really good. Very reminiscent of Iceman in in the original. It's it was very great to see that kind of dynamic come back between. Uh, Rooster and Iceman, and it's very, very lovely to see a woman, hello, yes, um, a woman um, in Top Gun, uh, uh, the best of the best graduates of Top Gun, which was really great, um, so that made me, made me very happy too. Um, they knew exactly what they were doing with this film, I mean, I had heard that Tom Cruise didn't really want to do a Top Gun sequel or another Top Gun, um, until there was like a good opportunity that came about and apparently this film was pitched to Tom Cruise this is very speculative I think I read this on Twitter but you never really know about what you read on Twitter um, but like apparently he got given this script like um, when gosh I can't remember um, when he was filming for a different film and this guy had like five minutes to kind of pitch the idea to him and Tom Cruise was so ex like excited by this idea and he really like waited he waited for the right story to come along for this for this uh, beloved film that he went because he wanted to give it the respect it deserved but he called up Paramount and were like we have a Top Gun sequel get it ready we're gonna do it and <laughs> firstly Tom Cruise having that power insane secondly that's amazing because um, as we'll talk a little bit about um, in a second, like the respect of, of the source material for a legacy franchise film is very important, and you know, you gotta you gotta pay um, credit where credit is due, and you can't you can't just make one for the sake of it, uh, unfortunately. Um, the piano scene was obviously with um, Rooster now playing the piano that Goose was, was very, very emotionally touching. I absolutely loved it. And it also was a great, great ball of fun because holy Jesus, great balls of fire, I think, is the lyrics. <laughs> Why not? Let's give it a reference. Um, also, the intro of this film really threw me because I genuinely thought I was watching the original until it said Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> I was like, did I accidentally buy a ticket to like a re-showing of this film? <laughs> I was very confused. Um, but yeah, that's it. That, I really, um, I really enjoyed that. And it's just a bag of fun. Best way I could simply put it, it was just genuinely a bag of fun. And I absolutely adored it and it made me so happy. So that is, that is Top Gun Maverick as a whole. Um, I did want to mention two other, like, non-spoilery, um, things that I wanted to say. Which is arguably, it was a little bit prop uh, prop propaganda-ish. Um, looking back on it, it is a little bit propagandish towards, you know, America, um, but I can overlook it because of how great of a film it is, and I think everyone is kind of, um, and it was, they had some mildly cringy dialogue, like, <laughs> there's one that I am gonna spoil because it's just, it's just one of those things, because I keep quoting it now, like, constantly, where it's like, it's not the pilot, no, sorry, <laughs> I messed up the quote, it's not the plane, it's the pilot. 
And I absolutely love that quote. I've been using it a lot. And I, um, I've been listening to also another podcast that, that also really loved Top Gun Maverick that have been using it a lot in a jokey way in their everyday life. And I absolutely love it. It's really, it's really funny. Um, arguably a little bit cringy. And there are at times a little bit of cringy dialogue. But, like, the cringy dialogue is, like, only a tiny fraction of the other incredible dialogue that we see in this film. Particularly between Iceman and... Um, and um, Maverick before Iceman unfortunately passes, but yeah, and it was a very touching tribute obviously to his character. So yeah, that is my opinions on Top Gun Maverick and now also, well obviously uh, previously Jurassic World Dominion. So Nandita, why have we done this? What are we, what are my final thoughts about this? So overall, linking back to the previous episode, we know that franchise films are dominating the box office and we want to know whether, you know, legacy franchise films in particular are a good or a bad thing that we are seeing in cinemas and dominating all of our media consumption at the moment. It's, it's a tricky one because you have to be able to do it in a way that is super, super, um, is super, super, like, respectful. And I think that's that's the ultimate thing, because when you have a film like that ends up having the amount of success that it does, something like Jurassic Park, something like Avatar, something like Top Gun, you know, you don't expect it to get as much buzz as it as it gets, but then it does, and then you suddenly have this question of like, well, do I do a sequel? Do I make this into a franchise? What do I do here? Um, and you have to sit there and think, is as I. It's this theme throughout the entirety of this episode is, is it going to add value to um, the original source material? Is it going to respect the original source material? Is it, is it going to make people that love the original absolutely love this, right? Um, for the right reasons, obviously, not just for nostalgia-fueled, reference-based, like, malarkey, essentially. Um, and I think... You know, we, another question that we should think about is like, how long do we wait before, you know, considering it a, a legacy franchise, as I've decided to come up with the name for it, you know, how long do you wait? And I think, as Tom Cruise so perfectly did it for Maverick, is wait until, you know, the time is right, that you have a good enough script that would make you want to make a, a good sequel or a next instalment in this franchise that's 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 going to be so super rewarding for everyone involved and everyone who who watches and and consumes this media it's, it, it it will be great and um you know something like Jurassic World Dominion they could have waited they could have just had they had the original Jurassic Park series and they could have waited and made one really really nice um um what's the word one really really nice like kind of franchise next next stage or you could even do a new like trilogy but have it all thought out from the beginning instead of just starting and making Jurassic World and then thinking well how can we move on from here and then how can we move on from here because that's exactly what it felt like it felt like we were kind of just going um they did they didn't have a well thought out idea of what they wanted the trilogy to be and they kind of were just making up as you go along to just kind of 
attempt at a cash grab, unfortunately. And that's what I feel like a lot of legacy franchise films do. They they pick at that nostalgia and they go, yeah, yeah, we know that you're going to come watch it because you liked the the old ones. So so we can just make whatever we whatever um, whatever material we can. And people get lazy and they don't produce the, the type of quality um, that should respect, respectfully be given. And that's why I have an immense more respect for Tom Cruise than I do for any other, um, any other big studio that decides to make these forms of sequels um, or, or franchise um, next installments. Um, well, I already the, another question was why do they make money regardless of quality? Well, as I said, they're nostalgia fueled, and people just want to go and watch it because they want to. They associated, you know, that film and the positive experiences of the original film with a specific time in their life, and they want to relive that um, through this through this new um, this new time in their life, you know. Um, and like another question that I thought was, well, do they do soft reboots? Do they do full reboots? Do they just do a continuation? And honestly, as I mentioned before, it all depends on whether you have the right story that fits that narrative that you can continue on. Um, these are all questions that, you know, these filmmakers and these big companies should be thinking about, as opposed to just churning them out like money-making machines, you know? Where's the creativity? Where's Where's the the art of filmmaking? Where's the excitement that you get when you're watching this film? And you're like, oh, I haven't seen a film like this in a really long time. This makes me super happy. Which is exactly what I felt from Top Gun, only for it to be completely soiled by Jurassic World Dominion, being like, these are two ends of the spectrum, like complete opposite ends of the spectrum. It's really sad. Um, one thing... I wanted to, to, to say um, as well is that there seems to be a trend of less is more. Less is more, you know, um, the less, <laughs> the, you know, the less that you do or the longer you take to, to make things um, and the less media that you produce, pr uh, produce of it, the more likely you have thought about it, had some time to actually consider whether it needs more continuations. So less is more. Less is more. Marvel. Less is more. Cough, cough. <laughs> um, and then finally one more thing that I wanted to add that um, I might actually do a potential YouTube video about. Um, yeah, potentially. We'll see, we'll see. Um, but it's essentially social media buzz can kind of add to it for the wrong reasons because a lot of people will be talking about Jurassic World Dominion and be like, oh my god, this film was super bad, but then, but then it's trending on Twitter, and then you see this, that, and the other, and then you suddenly get this deception of these these companies who are so out of tune with anything will think, oh, they're, they're, there's, there's so much social media buzz, let's, let's um, keep making them. And that's the problem, we're buzzing about them because we don't like it, simple as. It's unfortunate, but it's free marketing for them. Uh, maybe I'll do an episode on that. Let me know if you'd like to hear it, see an episode on um, you know social media buzz and its contribution to the type of and forms of quality of media that we get. Yeah, um, so let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. But overall, make make legacy franchise films if you know that it's gonna it's gonna add to the quality and respect the source material. That's all I ask. <laughs> 
And with that being said, it's time to move on to the infamous segment of the show, The Recommend or To The Back End. have a recommend for um, this week because uh, this was also a very uh, impromptu episode um, and that is Stranger Things Season 4 Volume 1. So if you guys don't know, Stranger Things is all the buzz. Um, it is a series about um, an experimented on girl who ends up having superpowers that are linked to something of an otherworldly dimension called the Upside Down that is basically exactly like our dimension but everything's upside down and there are floaty little little fluff things in the sky and it's all red and, and, and filled with demogorgons and monsters and we've had another instalment of it and we had, I believe it was six episodes come out all like hour, hour and a half each and genuinely some incredible stuff. I was truly impressed by, you know, some of A, the horror, and <laughs> me actually handling the horror. It's shocking. Maybe I'm becoming reformed with my horror, <laughs> with my horror um, fear. But, you know, the horror elements, the, the unfolding of the narrative, the plot twist. I mean, I know a lot of people saw it coming, but I didn't see it coming. Maybe it's because I watched it in a short amount of time, but I didn't see it coming. Um, and overall it was just so great because we get to see this journey of Elle and every, all the other characters and their their great character development and their dynamics grow and seeing them grow older as well. And it's just making me all the more excited for volume two which is coming out um, in July. So if you want to wait and wait until the entirety of season four comes out and watching it all in one um, or you can watch volume one now and that's, gets, uh, wait and um, get super excited for the last two episodes which is going to be like two over two hours long each which is great um, so yeah Stranger Things um, season four volume one definitely check it out obviously watch the uh, source material <laughs> watch the source material first see if it respects the source material guys um, and yeah like that's that's my recommend for this week and with that being said, that, that leads us to the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, let me know if you enjoyed this one. It was very impromptu and, you know, I did bring back reviews even though I said I was not going to do reviews anymore. But until the YouTube channel's here, I'm going to keep it as a kind of an exception and also I kind of linked it to a wider topic. So let me know what you thought of this uh, type of format of episode. Um, uh, and if you want to follow... Uh, me on any social medias that's at deets with detail on both instagram and twitter if you are listening on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify Podcasts, or any other podcast listening platforms hello how you doing how's your day been um if you're on spotify i'll ask you how your day has been and give me some answers i want to know how, how how have you been um and because you can actually answer questions on Spotify now, it's, it's really crazy. I didn't know this was a thing. I've been out of the podcast game for too long. Uh, but yeah, answer your questions there. Um, and uh, definitely do give the podcast a follow there, a subscribe there. Um, you know, share it with your friends if maybe, if, they, if they're also keen, um, you know, film likers or you want to get them more into film, but you don't know how to get them more into film. Hi! 
that's my podcast brand basically <laughs> um but yeah definitely do all that stuff and if you're on um actually on apple podcast why didn't you why don't you leave a five star rating and review it will help other people find the podcast and i feel like more people should listen to the podcast because i kind of have somewhat okay opinions about things <laughs> and i'm also learning and more people can learn with me too it's a great it's a journey it's a collective journey that we're all taking together and it's absolutely great um if you want to know what films I'm watching on a day-to-day basis, even though it's coronavirus at the moment, um, you can follow me on my Letterboxd account, underscore Nandita underscore. And with that being said, yes, next week is actually going to be a Marvel fatigue episode. It is in the works, it's been planning, I have been planning it, but this one kind of just took precedence because I was just so excited about it. Um, but that, with that being said, thank you guys so much once again, and I will see you all in the next episode. Bye everyone!